We've all been there, in the middle of a job, everything going smoothly, until boom, you're missing a part. United Refrigeration is your one-stop shop for all your refrigeration needs. Use your computer or smartphone to go to www.uri.com at any time of day or night to check stock on your favorite brands, such as Copeland, Sporlin, Carlisle Compressors, Danfoss, Emerson CPC Boards and Sensors, Carell, Hussman Parts, and Ketotherm. United Refrigeration Inc. is home to these brands and many more. Looking for information on refrigerant conversions or refrigerant banking? Quick access links on the homepage can get you to the information you need. All approved accounts are able to see live to the minute inventory and pricing. Product not in stock at your local branch? No problem. Use the nearby stock feature to find a local branch that does have what you need. Are you looking for a branch address, phone number, or after hours number? That's all available as well. Just click on the branch locator and search for your local branch. Have a model number and looking for a replacement part? www.uri.com forward slash ARP has a vast list of quick pick replacement parts. Just search for the model number of the equipment you're working on and click the replacement parts tab. If you don't have an account, click the register button and we'll have you online in no time. With more than 400 locations in North America, each United Refrigeration branch is fully stocked for immediate pickup. Our branch employees have in-depth technical knowledge so we can help you get what you need when you need it. Visit your local store or www.uri.com forward slash ARP today. United Refrigeration Inc. has all your solutions down cold. Hi guys, welcome to the Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Compass. I wanted to take a quick minute to talk about one of our sponsors that make this podcast possible, and that's Parker Sporlin and the Catch-All Filter Dryer. Do you know what can reduce system efficiencies and reliability within your refrigeration system? If you answer contamination, you are correct. Sporlin Catch-All Dryers have been been around since 1947 and have been perfected over the years to capture water, acid, solids, debris, including sludges and varnishes. For best practices, change the catch-all filter dryer if any of the following occurs. Initial system install, when a system is open for service or repair, when excessive pressure drop of 5 PSI across the filter dryer, when the see-all sight glass indicates water is present, when doing a T1-1 acid test kit says there's acid present, during a compressor burnout cleanup, and following a successful burnout cleanup. To find out more information, by downloading Bulletin 40-10 from Sporlin.com with all the catch-all filter dryer information. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the episode. Think we'll be entertained tonight? I will. I brought a book.
And welcome to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. You're here with your host Brett Wetzel and Kevin Compass. What's going on this week, man? Uh, I've uh, uh, just started up some protocols, and uh, you know, wouldn't be a normal uh, construction job with uh, without getting equipment that's half built. <laughs> did you did you at least get an IOU on the rack? Oh no, this one came out with a condenser with no boards, no contactors, <laughs> nothing. Just <laughs> Just the fans straight to diffuses and a spot marked out for the Dan Foss board. <laughs> That's amazing. That's okay. Yeah, like this- nothing, nothing does me anymore. Like it, it's, it, 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 it's, I, I'm almost like guaranteed it's going to happen. <laughs> That's really horrible. Well, I've come to the conclusion this week I'm turning into an old man. Um, besides going senile and forgetting things. You know, going to wash my hands in the toilet, uh, having candies and, and uh, napkins in my pocket, and, you know, always having a thing of, of back cream has is, is been my normal, which is amazing, because that's really telling me I'm really getting freaking old. <laughs> that's what happens when you come out of a phone. Oh, I know. Everything hurts and everything's broken. So um, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, controlling CDS valves for whether we use them for receiver pressurization valves or holdback valves or uh, regular EPRs. We're going to discuss it today. So one of the things that uh, you want to start with understanding bipolar stepper motors, there's basically two sets of windings in there and uh, they both have continuity. Um, Every manufacturer is a little bit different. Every valve is a little bit different. Um, So like CDS, two through seven is going to be, now these are all Sporland part numbers, but two through seven 2,500 steps per second, or I'm sorry, 250, 2,500 steps for the whole whole valve, um, 200 steps per second, and it's like a 10% overclosure is what the programming is for supposed to be for those ones. And those have a certain resistance range, and then the same thing with the CDS 9 through 17. Um, you know, those are 6,386 steps, 200 steps per second, and 10% overclosure. Um you know, that has a, an, another rating as far as resistance. So you should get resistance between like your uh, black and white and red and green. Um, typically, it's anywhere from like 75 to 95 ohms. And if you have one winding touch in another, it's a short. Um, you can also check to make sure the wires uh, are intact inside, that they're not shorted to the housing by going using your meter and having on ohms and basically measuring it from, you know, ground body chassis to every single one of the wires and make sure you do not have, you know, some, some sort of short in there. Anything you want to add? Kev? Yeah. So, um, you guys are aware, like, like Brett said, every, every manufacturer is a little different. Like, uh, Dan Foss is different. So just so you guys are aware, if you are going to drive a Dan Foss valve with say a, uh, SMA, so you need to flip the black and white wire. You have to invert the black and white wire for it to drive properly. Same thing if you're going to do it off of a uh, multiflex board. You need to invert the black and white wire for it to drive properly, or else it will not drive properly. One of the other things to know with uh, Danfoss as well, if you have an older firmware version, 
on your controller sometimes if you go to add a uh, an, uh another valve on a board that has you know let's just say it has four openings on it and number one and two are are, are you know occupied um three and four are not and you decide to put that that valve that cds valve or kvs valve on number four if the firmware of the controller is older sometimes it won't actually work and you'll you'll just <laughs> i've never been so frustrated and you know it took probably about an hour and a half to figure out that that was the actual problem and kevin i know you just had one not too long ago a couple months ago you had the same thing <laughs> Yeah, some of that older Danfoss stuff, even, yeah, I mean, it could be, I mean, for God's sakes, that one night I tried to move that board point to that, that took like an hour of me beating my head against a wall. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. Oh. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like guys, okay, so like CDS fails, for example, if you're using a stepper, bipolar stepper motor, remember Danfoss makes these, Sporlin makes them, um, I'm pretty sure that cheap company from China is probably making them too. Now they make everything else that uh, um, everybody's making at Sandwow, whatever. I mean, there, there is a bipolar stepper motor. So, I mean, you, you just got to pay attention to how these are wired. You going to say something, Brett? No. I was the but only other manufacturer I was going to mention that has a hold on the market is Corel. Yeah, but isn't there stuff like magnetically driven? But it's still powering up that stator. So like that that piece that actually spins around, um, you know, you, in a pinch, what you could actually do is if you loosen up the top nut on those and you actually spin them, um, it will actually turn. Um, it doesn't re it doesn't return to uh, normal function just like the regular CDS valve does. Um, Can you but yeah, drive well off of a multiflex board? So I've been told that you can. I have not tried it yet. Um, that's that's one of the twenty four volts. Huh? I thought they were 24 volts. I don't know. And not 12 volts. I don't know. Because I, I know that like the Beacon stuff used to use those. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I, I this pretty sure the CDS or the SMA will work on it. From what someone someone had told me. Now I have never seen this. I've never tried it. Um, I'm sorry. SMA 12 will actually drive it. Interesting. Yeah, so I, all right, guys, so like controlling like a whole back valve, for example. So there's a couple different ways you could do this. You could do this with a standalone controller like a uh, Calvin controller. So you have the Calvin pressure controller, the spoiler makes. You could do it with that. That's how Walmart and Sam's is doing a lot of these stores. Um, they are having that standalone controller have a pressure transducer and an input, and they are using that to control the. Uh, CDS valve to step it forward and backwards to respond off pressure. Now that Calvin controller has a couple things in there. It has to have it has to have a uh, doesn't have to, but it should have a uh, closure in there to zero out the valve every so often, and it's going to have a pressure transducer in there, a preferably a zero to five hundred pound pressure transducer that's going to be looking at the drop leg pressure or whatever you're trying to maintain. And that's going to maintain that. Now they have a couple different setups in that in that Calvin pressure controller. It could be a, a EPR, it could be a uh, holdback valve, it could be a receiver pressurization valve. Now every one of those options drives that valve differently. 
Now, mean, meaning it's going to, you know, obviously one's going to be a close on rise and one's going to be an open on rise for the receiver and, and the uh, holdback valve. So it's going to be a little bit differently at whatever application you select. So you guys just got to pay attention to that when you're setting these up, especially for the Walmart and Sam's, because 90% of the time they come not programmed. So just be aware that you're going to have to set that up and go through and tell what transistor you have. Um, whether you have a digital closure, the, uh, the pump down uh, contacts, usually at midnight or whatever, it'll pump it down for a minute or two just to zero the valve. So I did want to say something Go about ahead, that. Um, on Also pay attention to what type of uh, condenser they have. Um, I had an instance where I was doing a brand new startup on a store and they did the whole shutdown thing every single time, you know, uh, every single time, uh, you know, midnight or actually this one was set for like 6 a.m. And every single morning I come in and I had a couple compressors tripped out on high pressure and I couldn't figure it out because it was happening so fast on the graph. Um, Micro channels are not forgiving as far as trying to pump them down. We're trying to pump the whole charge into them because they don't hold much refrigerant. So when it would try to do that, it would basically uh, go off on high pressure. Um, so we ended up having to put a bypass around that. So just make sure if, you know, if you do have a uh, micro channel condenser that you do, you know, make those changes, make sure you have some sort of bypass. So when it does go to zero out, um, you don't have that issue. Yeah. I mean, it just depends on what it is. If, I mean, if you have a, I mean, that's the only, that's the only downfall of those chronic valves like that, that you will, you could run into is that, especially on a discharge, um, you almost want it to zero open. So, I mean, unfortunately, you can't step it open. With microthermal, you can. So you could you could actually step it open. You, you have that ability. You know what you could do? If you, ha if you actually had it running off a of CPC, I just thought of this. If you have it running off a of CPC, you could basically force it to override to uh, 100%. You know what I mean? You can give it a bypass command of 100% and have it. Well, <laughs> that's what I do with, with all of them. So, like, but the problem is it won't overdrive it. Yes. So, yeah. if it loses its its position over time, it's not going to overdrive it. Gotcha. So, I mean, that's on a standard mode. Like on CPC, what you have to do is, uh, unfortunately, on CPC, you, there's a couple different moving parts to this. You need to have a loop sequence controller that's going to be modulating the valve in the PID, okay, it coming up with the PID. You need to have a sensor control that's doing the measurement or the math. Say if you're, well, you could get away with just a loop sequence. If you're just doing a whole bank valve or a receiver pressurization, you could just do a loop sequence controller and have the input as pressure. And you could do it all within a loop sequence control. And you could have an enable to enable the whole back valve, say like if you wanted to enable it, you know, like 50 degrees and below or only enable it when it's in split. So that way you're not holding back ever when it's not split and it could be forced 100% open. So that, that that's a couple options you have. Um, if you're using a CDS valve for a defrost differential valve, this is where it gets kind of tricky. So you need to have a quick acting PID for this. So not a slower reacting PID like for you need for a holdback valve or a receiver pressurization valve. If you're doing a defrost differential valve, you need a fast acting PID. So it takes a lot of tuning on this stuff to make it work properly. 
I agree. And like sometimes you could be there for you know hours, three hours, just trying to get it you know streamlined. If you don't have a set of parameters to start off on, you know, not always the the ones that are in there for the manufacturer are the right ones to start with. And a lot of times, oh, you absolutely not with E2. I mean, in that loop sequence controller, I mean, it's not even close to what you need. I mean, it's it's they, there's a set of parameters in there just for, I mean, it's for temperature basically for, it's not for controlling pressure like i mean that those parameters are in the loop sequence controller to start out with or that, that's like a loop sequence controller for controlling like a discharge some in like a rooftop not not for a fast acting pid i was waiting for you to say it's garbage it's garbage you shouldn't use it no but the thing that's frustrating is like the pid loops are different in every controller there's no it must have something to do with the firmware like you know like the the normal you know uh standard options come with this pid loop you know with this firmware <laughs> well no like i mean with like dixel dixel's op- opposite than emerson so like the yeah. dixel firmware, the dixel pid loops run the opposite great greater the number so, faster it goes the greater the number the slower it goes okay and, and then is diverse, isn't it? I think so. Microthermal is a fucking toss up to whatever firmware you have. Like, there's, there. I mean, I'm being serious. Like, there's, like, the 700 boards are one way, the 500 boards are another way, and then like certain firmwares of the CO2 stuffs, like one one firmware is one way, one firmware is another way. <laughs> no one knows it's all a big secret you have, to, you have to like read every one of the line the line uh diagram things to figure out what uh what way the pid is going so i mean that's one thing i will say this microthermal makes it easier than anybody to set this up especially like the defrost differential valve all this stuff's canned so everything's already in there you feed it the inputs you feed it the outputs you feed it the valve and it's ready to go. So, I mean, you could take on microthermal, especially the 700 boards. It's all pre-canned. Like, they already have a holdback valve set up. They already have a receiver pressurization valve set up. They already have a, a defrost differential valve set up. You just got to feed it the inputs, and away you go. Just make sure wherever you're doing, whatever you're using, you know, you're making sure that the pressure transducer is on the right area of where you're trying to control remember we you know we've discussed you know the difference between an inlet pressure regulator outlet pressure regulator a hold back would be considered an inlet pressure regulator so you're trying to you know basically control the inlet of that valve and fortunately enough sporlin makes a uh, flow con uh, conversion kit where you can take an a8 valve or an a9 valve and basically convert it to uh, electrical without having to un- actually unbraze it um those work you know, fairly well they, they, they work really good yeah well, I, I yeah. haven't had any problems. It's usually, it's usually, honestly, it's the controller was never programmed from the get, and you know, problems end up happening in the wintertime when it just falls on its face when the rack just totally stalls out because Texas will burn if it goes down to twenty or thirty degrees. Everything just goes tits up. <laughs> we had a lot of problems out here with these liquid pumps kids they put in because they set the, I mean, the holdbacks are set at uh, sixty, like nine pounds. <laughs> the uh, the LPA systems. So if, if you haven't had the, the pleasure, uh, Kevin, speaking of the uh, LPA, which stands for liquid pump amplification, um, they're basically running the head pressure as low as humanly possible. 
Um, and because you're running it that low, um, you're driving the actual liquid force with uh, centrifugal pumps. Um, you still have expansion valves, but it, the, the head pressure's in the freaking toilet. Yeah, I mean, it probably didn't help that the same kid put every single one of them in. And he uh, showed up to work every day with a mullet and a uh, pair of yellow Crocs on doing all hey, of it. So hey, he's hey, quality. Don't knock the yellow Crocs or the freaking mullet. I saw a kid the other day with the most amazing mullet ever. It was it was Joe Dirt worthy. He wasn't in Texas. He was in Indiana, so it wasn't a good mullet. Uh, this was in Wisconsin, sir. Well, I mean, everybody in Wisconsin has a mullet. I'll get the. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, so it goes the same. You can still, you know, typically in an E2 controller, we're controlling the uh, EPR, the electronic EPR, um, based off of discharge air temp. That doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Um, you know, you have, you know, some controllers out there will actually control it for pressure. But being that said, you have to make sure that you actually have a pressure transducer somewhere down on the system that it's measuring. So it knows how, how, so far it knows how, how far it goes. We, we have done the same thing. Sometimes they'll put a subcooler on a rack and the, the valve will be basically oversized. And so it's hunting really bad. So it never, never controls really good suction. Um, so you can limit the amount of, uh, maximum opening percentage. Um, you could do that, or you could actually put it on a, uh, a pressure transducer and, and do what Kevin said and do a loop sequencer where you're taking that analog value and basically controlling the output of a bipolar stepper motor. I mean, yeah, I think that's a little bit easier to do. I mean, you could make a separate suction group and do that or a separate, uh, circuit so like like brett said you make it a main so like if you have like a08 a dairy case you can make a08 main and make that the with a conversion cell make that the epr or like you could do a uh, loop sequence controller and do that and just do it off pressure um cbc is that like that microthermal actually has the ability to just control off pressure so you can you could have a converted saturation especially on the new 700 boards it's already all set up in the board you could choose uh pressure as an option for the circuit control and oh, it'll wow. control like an, which is super nice uh costco started doing all the dairy coolers like that because they were having all these issues with the uh eprs opening up too high because of the obviously they got the air door there and obviously the air door only does so much you're gonna have to turn off your video man you're trailing Today's episode is sponsored by the new Reefer Shield Differential Pressure Monitor from Westermeyer Industries. When the filter element of your coalescing oil separator is contaminated, it can hurt your system's performance and efficiency. But how do you know when it's time to replace that filter? Way too long to replace and you could end up with a nasty filter blowout. But replacing too often can be a waste of time and money. The answer is installing a differential pressure monitor. The new Reefer Shield RDP-01 Differential Pressure Monitor is available now from Westermeyer Industries. To find out more information, email sales at westermeyerind.com. That's sales at westermeyerind.com. While Kevin's doing that, hopefully I didn't lose him. Um, third question for the month. Uh, minimum percentage on a Bitzer VFD-ready compressor. What hurts? Um, is the lowest you can go. Now, this is a little bit of a range 
is it 10 to 20 is it 20 to 30 is it you know uh give me a range and and let me know email it to um advanced refrigeration podcast at gmail.com and good luck on entering and winning a tool kevin you there yeah i'm here good all right i i missed yeah i missed a whole bunch of that you started I heard Costco 700 board. Okay, so like the co- the Costco uh, 700 boards, for example, at, at a Costco, if you're doing like a new dairy cooler, they are controlling off of pressure to control the evaporators in the dairy cooler because what was happening is they were putting them on CDS valves and heated the, the last point of the day when the humidity was high in the store. What was happening is the CDS valves were driving open off temperature, trying to maintain the dairy box. They were opening up too much, and it was frosting over the coils. If the coils got below like 23 degree, 22 degree saturated temp, they would freeze over the back almost instantly. So what they started doing was they started using those microthermal boards, and they're controlling them off pressure. And saturation so they're basically keeping it at like a 22 to 23 degree saturated temperature and they're using that to control the box temp and they're floating it off a box temp so in microthermal you have the ability to float so you could float you could have a saturated suction temperature set point of 22 degrees and you could have a discharge air set point of say like 33 degrees so as you get to that 33 degrees it'll start floating that suction pressure set point which is great because that way you could still maintain temp in the box, but you're also floating up the EPR set points. So the EPR set points changing to actually maintain temp in the box still. So it, it's a moving target on discharge air temp. So it's basically, you know, just almost like floating, right? Yeah, it's it's floating. It's floating the suction set point. Gotcha. Uh, let's see. We talked about holdback valves. We talked about EPR valves. Let's talk about receiver pressurization valves. Um, basically, as you know, as the holdback valve is going to start clamping down to raise the condenser pressure, um, basically the receiver pressure is going to drop. Um, you know, to make up for that little bit of difference, you know, you open up some discharge gas and, and throw it in the top of the receiver. And there's your receiver pressurization. Um, you know, so then this one, the we the pressure transducer would be on the outlet of the uh, of that line, uh, on top of the receiver. You could do if there's an open port. Um, basically, it's it's measuring that pressure there. Um, have you ever seen a, a CDS valve or uh, you know any kind of valve used for? I've seen them for hot gas bypass, but have you ever seen them for? defrost differential valve that's something that i've never seen i thought yeah, you had said you made mention done, that you did one i've done a bunch of them okay so, so I, you- i've done a, i've done a bunch of liquid differential valves uh i will say this with the liquid differential valves like you'll see them if you don't undersize them slightly they will be closed most of the time like it's especially if you're on cool gas defrost and you run a liquid differential valve Probably over like 80% of defrost is going to be closed. Wow. Like I, I didn't really realize it until I started like doing playing with them. Like I could get them to maintain like plus or minus two PSI 
with nothing in defrost runs fine. But when you put a circuit in defrost, especially like a little bit bigger circuit, like say if you had like 18 doors, you'd be surprised how closed that valve is. It's probably closed 90% of the time. Gotcha. But a de- I haven't done a defrost differential valve yet. I mean, to me, there's uh, way too many. There's too much. I, I don't think any of the controllers we have right now is fast enough to do it. Oh, gotcha. How about how about Rudum Rudum RDM? I've I've never messed with it, but I mean. It would have to be RDM or microthermal to do it. I, I don't think C- CPC is not fast enough. There's no way the update the update rate's too slow on on CPC on a loop sequencer. Was it? Is it two seconds? Seconds. So I mean, it, it's way too slow. By the time by the time you do so, say if you had to do a defrost differential valve, you need a sensor control to do the uh, to do the uh, calculation. So there's two seconds. So then there's another second between the controller talking from application to application. Then there's another two seconds before it decides what the valve is going to do. So you're talking like four to five seconds before it even starts to move. And then the multiflex ESR board has an update rate. Just so you guys know this, um, if you're using like something that needs a fast acting valve, the multiflex ESR update rate is 15 seconds. So you need to drop, you could, you need to drop that down to two seconds. Because otherwise, if you if you do that, you're at almost 19 seconds before it even decides to move the valve. Gotcha. Um, sometimes you'll see um, not necessarily CDS valves, but you'll see what's called an SDR valve. And technically, that valve is made for hot gas bypass valves. So, like, you'll see it a lot used for uh, if you have an A9, um, you know, if it's small enough, you can do use the SDR. Um, I've also seen it in HVAC systems when they're trying to maintain a, a, a saturated suction for, you know, for process cooling. Um, but I've also seen them used as, as EPRs. You know, it's usually like the real, real tiny case. Like uh, if it's trying to control like a quarter ton case, um, I've seen it, you know, be implemented and used as a, as a evaporator pressure regulator. I haven't, seen them use, I, I haven't seen them use them since the CDS2s came out. Like I, I think that was what they were using before they had the CDS twos, and as soon as the CDS twos came out, like I have, I haven't seen another SDR. Well, I mean, I'm just saying it's out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, don't no, it's not there, like, no, don't, it's not wrong. It's no, not. That's the only place I ever see them. Yeah, it, just to let you guys know, it's not wrong if you see it out there. They've been doing it for a very long time, but you know, they now have started making. Uh, you know, smaller, smaller CDS valves, so they could probably do that. Uh, one of the things I'm waiting for is them to start making, you know, SCR, uh, S, A. you know, so we, you know, all these valves aren't oversized and all this CO2 stuff, you know, which I mean, that well, I think that has to do with a lot of the, the failures because, you know, we're basically overdriving a lot of the stuff because, um, you know, no, a lot of people aren't taking the time to you know, dial in the controls like they should to make it run a lot smoother. 100% almost every one of the EVs I see fail, especially on a CO2 system is not tuned properly. The whole system is not tuned properly. So usually, usually like when I'll start, you know, futzing with a lot of the programming is when, Hey, you know, Brett, we've had two or three valve failures. All right. <laughs> now it's time to start messing with it. You know, um, 
where basically I'll, I'll, you know, we'll replace the valves, but find out why they, why they, you know, why they failed out. And typically it's because on a CO2 rack, you know, you can have an uh, SER double A that's like sized with CO2 for like a ton and a quarter. And, you know, you only needed 2,900 BTUs. So like it spends a lot of its time for electronic expansion about going from zero to hundred, zero to hundred, zero to hundred. And then, you know, basically it over, oversteps. And a lot of times what I'll do is, especially with the Dixel controllers is put like a maximum opening percentage. So we'll use round numbers. So it's real easy. So if, if let's just say the valve is zero to hundred percent, right. Um, that valve is zero to one ton. These are all fictitious numbers. And let's just say we happen to have a case, you know, 2,500 BTUs, essentially a quarter ton. Now I won't, I won't let the maximum opening percentage go, go exactly to 25% because you have to accommodate for that pull down, right? You know, sometimes they have a little bit warmer product because they just finished loading it. So you want to be able to, you know, fully compensate for that. So, you know, I won't do exactly 25%, but I might do 35 or 40%. And by doing that, you know, it'll hit that 40% and then try to go down when it starts flooding, flooding back then a little bit, it'll start going down. And finally, the PID will catch up and, and the, the signal will smooth out a lot. And then you'll have even run times on it. And a lot of times you're not doing that zero to hundred, you know, mambo jumbo back and forth. Yeah. The, the pull down percentages are like, killer on especially on like newer cases like hill cases you have to have them if you don't you have a humid store you are just screwing yourself because you're going to come out of defrost and you're literally going to shoot yourself right in the foot because you're going to instantly frost that coil up cascade racks are really horrible for this too because you know basically you have um you know the load the load for the the co2 inversely you know adds the load on the on the high stage or you know your your basically your your uh dx refrigerant you know whether it be 134a 449 you know so a lot of times you can have you know a lot of case coming out of defrost all at the same time and you know all of a sudden you know your your co2 vessel pressure will start going up because you know they got that valve just sitting there sitting at 100 percent for most of its life, you know what I mean? And so if you have multiple cases doing this, you know, where they're just sitting there and hunting, you know, plus you're wasting, you're wasting energy, you're cycling the crap out of your compressors because your, your load's going from zero to hundred percent, you know, zero, you know, like my, you know, like my wife driving, you know, so a lot of times you, you just got to settle it down a little bit and, and, you know, do some adjustment on there to level it out some. Yep. Well, guys, uh, I think that wraps up for uh, CDS Valves. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, have a nice one. Catch you next time. Bye. Something wonderful happens. What? It ends. <laughs>